Hello, dear listener. You're probably wondering what's going on. Well, Bill's got a really big fish on. My forearm hasn't been this sore since high school. Who's Bill? Bill's a fisherman in Kentucky. Why does any of this matter? Because two years ago, the stream where Bill is fishing, it didn't really exist. This new stream, it replaced a drainage ditch that was actually polluting a nearby river. Sounds good, right? But it turns out that in order to bring this stream back to life, something else had to die. Today, we're going to find out the hidden costs behind this new stream. And we're going to have to ask ourselves about our values as anglers and conservationists. For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. It could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by our friends at Scott Fly Rods. I got another great soundbite from Brian Husky of Fishbite Media about his relationship with Scott Fly Rods. One of the core things about Scott Fly Rods that I've been so happy about over the years are the people. And quite frankly, the Scott Fly Rod rep, John Dobson, known as Mo Dobby, the Dodfather, really introduced me to fly fishing industry. It was him as a fishing friend that first saw some of my photography while we're hanging out around the fire one night and was like, hey, this stuff's not too bad. Uh, I'm going to send this to Scott Fly Rods. And the next thing you know, some of those photos ended up printed. And that's really what kind of kicked off something of a career in fly fishing photography and filmmaking for me. And so personally, Scott is the ground floor company that I've been involved with. So it's super important to me. Whether you need a new fly rod or you need an introduction into the fly fishing industry, Scott Fly Rods has you covered. Check them out at scottflyrod.com. This episode is also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. I checked in with Yellow Dog employee Camille Egdorf, this time about a trip that she hasn't yet gone on. Yeah, we're going down to El Pescador from November 3rd to the 8th, and uh, there's going to be eight of us. It's going to be an all-girls trip, so you leave the men at home and you know let them kind of fend for themselves for a few days while we go out and chase some permit and tarpon and bonefish, of course, and whatever else we can tag into. And um, yeah, it's going to be a fun time. I believe we are just about full, so we might have one or two spaces left. So definitely, uh, if it's something that somebody's interested in or wants a little bit more information on, do it now, because odds are it's going to fill up here pretty quick. For more information on this trip and many others, check them out at yellowdogflyfishing.com. Alrighty, back to the show. A couple months ago, we heard a story about Kentucky's Wolf Creek Dam and the Cumberland River. Hi, I'm Katie Couric. America's infrastructure is really showing its age. Corps of Engineers decided it was the most dangerous dam in the United I States. Mean, you start talking about fish over 20 inches and being able to catch and release 10 or more of them in a day, that's world-class fishing. If you haven't heard the whole story yet, I encourage you to do so. It's called Death of a Tailwater, and you can find it on our website or podcast feed. And this week, we're heading back to the heart of Appalachia, once again just below the Wolf Creek Dam. In addition to the Cumberland River, there's another smaller stream right in the area. It starts at the Wolf Creek National Fish Hatchery and flows into the Cumberland. Naturally, 
It's called Hatchery Creek. This is Andy. Andy, how are you doing today? Good. You doing all right? To learn a little bit more about Hatchery Creek, I called up Andy Mowry. He worked for Kentucky's Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources and actually oversaw the construction of the new Hatchery Creek. Because Hatchery Creek, you know, we didn't invent a creek. It was already there. The old creek, if you can call it that, was just an outflow from the fish hatchery. One of the big problems with Hatchery Creek, it was incised probably 40 feet down and just just only uh, about 1,000 feet. um, And it was dumping loads of sediment into the Cumberland River. No fish there, really just a muddy ditch. Not ideal. So back in 2007, some folks came up to Andy and said, let's fix Hatchery Creek. Or more accurately, let's build a new Hatchery Creek. But building a new stream, that costs money, and a lot of it. Luckily, there was a big pile of cash already sitting around just waiting for a project like this. Andy walked me through where all this money comes from. Let's say a coal company, because that's pretty common in Kentucky, wants to do some, you know, some mining, and it's going to impact the stream. In order to mess up that stream, the coal company has to get permission and pay a fee to offset their negative impact. This is called stream mitigation, and it was established under the Clean Water Act. So then the coal company says, sure, we'll pay that fee. They would then write us a check. The coal company now can just do whatever they want according to the permit and their hands are clean of having to do full restoration of the stream channel. Now, what Andy does is he takes that money and has to find a project to offset the impact made by that coal company. Basically, it's more complicated than this, but for every square foot of stream impacted by the coal company, Andy and his team have to go restore a square foot of stream on another waterway. There can be no net habitat lost. We now assume the responsibility for those impacts. So what I would do is my responsibility was to literally just travel around the state and look for potential projects. And sometimes it was as basic as just driving around and I would see a stream that had eroding banks in really bad shape. For example, the old Hatchery Creek. Like we talked about, it was in rough shape. So Andy decided it was an appropriate stream mitigation project. All this happened back in 2008. After eight years of bureaucracy and meetings, conceptual design, the funding approval, and permitting design and construction. In 2016, the new Hatchery Creek was born. And this past January, I had a chance to visit Kentucky's youngest waterway. Whereas the old creek was just a glorified drainage ditch, the new Hatchery Creek is 6,000 feet of prime trout habitat. This project not only restored habitat in accordance with the Clean Water Act, it also provided catch and release angling opportunities. Trout anglers will find a variety of runs, rifles, glides, and pools to provide a fishing experience they might only find in trout rivers in states far away. You can actually visit our website, drakemag.com, to see drone footage of the entire creek. Hey, are you Bill? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, I'm Elliot. Hey, nice to meet you, Elliot. Yeah, likewise. And while I was at Hatchery Creek, I met Bill Wilson who's the fishing manager for the Louisville, Kentucky Orvis store. Who we got here? This is Maven. Hey, Maven. He's a good fishing dog. How was Walmart this morning? Ah, special. I was going to buy the pink Barbie pole, but we got a little crappy jig stick. It's a little $5 reel somewhere. Turns out, Bill had forgotten his rod and reel on his front porch back in Louisville. Forgot all my rods, but I did remember beer. (laughs) But luckily for Bill, 
A friend of his happened to be fishing Hatchery Creek that day as well, and lent Bill a rod. This friend also happened to be the guy who kind of built the stream. Brad Redman. I was the field superintendent for the Hatchery Creek Stream Project. Well, engineers designed the stream on some fancy software, but Brad was the guy who physically created the stream. In addition to halting the sediment flowing into the Cumberland River and creating angling opportunities, there's another purpose in mind for the new Hatchery Creek. It's giving the fish out of the river a place to come up and spawn, and they are using it a lot. I mean, it's unbelievable the size and the amount of fish that are coming up out of the river and coming up here and utilizing the resource now. You're probably going to see spawning out here today. There's a, right now I can tell you there's a red on about every riffle. Brad also guides on Hatchery Creek. He literally knows every rock, crook, and cranny on the river because he kind of put them there. And Brad was gracious enough to show Bill and me around his home water. It didn't take long before we found a pair of 20-inch rainbows on some gravel. We let them do their natural thing. And I'll take this opportunity to invite our listeners, as tempting as it may be, to leave spawning fish alone. There was one particular hole that Brad knew would be holding a big one. So he took us up there. He gave Bill his rod and said, cast here. Bill followed Brad's direction. It took me a bit, but eventually I turned the mic on and recorded the battle. She's on the midge. Turn her, turn her up, turn her up, turn her up. We all decided that the fish was a girl. Oh no! Look at it. She walked out. I had her Look at the hook set on that. Woo! A couple quick picks, a lick or two from Maven the dog and the fish was back in her hidey hole. Good job, Bill. Holy shit. Yeah. Nice. When Hatchery Creek first opened up, it was big news. A new creek has just opened up in southern Kentucky. Fishermen say the new man-made Hatchery Creek in Russell County is like no other in the nation. I was walking along the creek and I looked, and uh, in the Army we'd say that that is a target-rich environment. And I'd say if you, if you don't catch a fish, you should probably get a refund on your fishing pole. Local TV stations and magazines heralded the new stream as a trout paradise. Anglers poured in by the hundreds. But before this whole project even happened, Andy received some pushback on the Hatchery Creek renovation, and kind of the whole practice of stream mitigation in general. Basically, is it worth the state's time and energy to restore streams? Is that their job? What was in place before this compensatory mitigation program? Nothing. The Corps was basically making the permittees do self-mitigation. Which did have some drawbacks. And these permittees in the past we're just on the bare minimum to get by. So the stream channels weren't restored using a, a natural channel design. So you had stream channels that would maybe maybe someday recover, but the recovery time could be 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, or they may never recover um, versus a program like this coming in and using this natural channel design to put in you know, the proper function, lots of habitat, uh, woody debris, things like that. So basically, 
Andy is arguing that this system is an improvement from the old system, and that stream mitigation projects like Hatchery Creek are better than leaving the restoration in the hands of the mining companies. But there are some more pointed criticisms of these sorts of projects, specifically the Hatchery Creek project. For example, in a blog post by the Kentucky Waterways Alliance, the group stated, and I quote, The funds originate from impacts to real streams and wetlands. The use of these funds should then, logically, go towards mitigation projects of real streams and wetlands, not artificial ones. End quote. Artificial ones meaning water discharge from a hatchery. These stream mitigation projects happen all over the country. So in that sense, this story isn't unique. But those funds are usually used to restore natural streams and wetlands. That's not what happened here. The blog post that I just quoted was written in 2014, before they had finished the Hatchery Creek project. Hello, KWA, this is Ward. So I decided to call up the Kentucky Waterways Alliance to see where they stand now on the issue. I am Ward Wilson, and I'm the executive director of Kentucky Waterways Alliance. We're a statewide organization here in Kentucky that uh, has the mission to protect, restore, and celebrate the waterways of Kentucky. And, well, and how about you, though? You're, uh, you're with what magazine? Curious. <laughs> okay. The Drake? All right, all right, yeah, I just, uh, just Googled you. That's cool. That's a neat name. Since the blog post was written three years ago, the Kentucky Waterways Alliance has changed their stance on the whole idea of Hatchery Creek. So from our perspective, I really think that's important to show the public how these streams can come back so well if we just give them a chance, we design them correctly and make them stable, is if you build it right, the wildlife will come back. I guess I would say... We like that it's been a successful project, that people are using it a lot, that people are learning about water and water quality and how important it is. Once again, Ward here is talking about streams coming back. But come back from where? Where Hatchery Creek is now used to be field and forest. Fish can't come back to Hatchery Creek because they were never there in the first place. But Ward did have some good points. I really want to see people out there using water and caring about water. Um, we changed our strategic plan just recently. We, we were always a group that had the mission to protect and restore the waterways of the state, but we added the word celebrate in there too. So we protect, restore, and celebrate the waterways. And celebrate means we want people to feel good about these waterways. We want them to love them. The people that go out and use these waters, we care about them, and that's why we raise cane when something happens to them. And if people don't care, they won't. They won't protect and restore. Ward sees Hatchery Creek as a nice poster child, but did warn against the overuse of projects like this. He told me that if you saw another project like Hatchery Creek proposed... You might have to come back and say, well, let's, let's get a little more for our money, you know, for, the, for ecology, for the habitat. But honestly, should we even be letting companies impact our streams in the first place? We'd rather there not be impacts to waterways uh, and people filling streams, but when there are and, and they're unavoidable and they get permitted, there's this restoration program, and it's supposed to restore all those the functions of that impacted stream or wetland. Is Hatchery Creek the Kentucky equivalent of the expensive salmon and steelhead hatcheries that treat the symptoms but avoid the real problem our fisheries and environment are facing? An issue that some people have with trout and hatcheries is those are not self-sustaining populations in, in our waters. 
you know, I don't know that I want to get too far over into that that issue of raising uh, a fish that's not native or maybe not self-sustaining native. Ward may not want to touch that topic, but I sure as heck do. If we look at the example of Hatchery Creek, companies impacted naturally occurring streams, some of which held populations of native brook trout. Of course, they paid a fee for this. That money was then used to refurbish a completely artificial stream running out of a fish hatchery, which was built to repopulate a river under a man-made dam so that fishermen like you and I have a place to catch non-native fish. The whole question throughout this story has been natural versus artificial. But when the landscape and waterways have been altered by humans for the past hundred years, is there really anything natural left? Stick around until the end of the episode for this week's field notes and scenes from our next episode. But first, some thank yous. Andy Maury, James Gray, Dave Dreves, Anthony Waters, Ward Wilson, and the whole crew at KWA, thanks for all your insight into Kentucky's stream mitigation program and your work as civil servants. Bill Wilson, just keep an extra rod and reel in your car. You might even be able to get a pro deal through that little fly shop you work for. Brad Redman, thanks for showing me around Hatchery Creek. If you're in the Cumberland River area and want to learn how to check nymph, Brad's the guy. Look him up online to book a trip. Google Redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N, fly fishing. Hop on our website, drakemag.com, to see drone footage from the creek, a few shots of Bill's fish, and some links to other resources that you might want to check out. drakemag.com. Keegan Lynch designed our logo, and our title track is Ain't It Sweet by the talented Phil Cook. Alrighty, this week's field notes come to us from the aforementioned Brad Redmond. I asked him how the fishing on Hatchery Creek has been lately. There is a lot of fish still coming up in and out of the creek. It's fishing pretty good. We're starting to get a few of our fall spawners are starting to move in. We had a whole lot of really successful spawning that happened last fall and winter, spring. Yeah, I've seen schools of upwards of you know 50 to 60 fresh fry par. People are starting to catch little three-inch wild streamborn trout. I asked Brad how he feels about the success of the project. I feel freaking awesome about it. To have be a part of the project and it being as successful as it has been in its first year and helping the fishery in a whole, because not only did we create a spawning channel and a refuge habitat for juvenile fish, but we also eliminated a huge amount of sedimentation into the tailwater itself from the old hatchery creek. So that in and of itself is a win. When I asked him what the trout have been hitting on lately. <laughs> oh, that's one that I keep to myself. I always say go small, go deep. But my flaw selection and what I actually throw, I keep to myself. Reason for that is I got on one mile of the most heaviest fish stream in the state. So what I have a lot of success on and I kind of keep close to the chest just for that reason but I'm willing to share what bugs are in the water. You've got black fly, tronomids, betas, we're starting to see some paraleptophobiates or the blue quills, some brachiocentris caddis, some hydrocyte caddis, scud, sow bug, damsels and dragons, 
crane fall RV. That's what, what we're seeing big numbers of. One species I haven't found yet are stonefly. That's what I'm really, really looking forward to. I know we have salmon flies down in the river. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. Fishing a small stream, throwing big foam stonefly patterns. Pretty appealing. That's all we get. So if you're going to make it down to Hatchery Creek in the near future, bring a whole bunch of each of those flies. I'd like to just say, you know, we are coming into spawning season. People need to really watch where they're walking. Stay away from the glides and the heads of ripples, crossing the runs and the tail outs of the ripples. If you don't know what a red is, use the magical Google machine and look it up. Don't target active fish on the reds. That's one thing we're having trouble with is just educating. Especially around here, people aren't used to it. Thanks for that one, Brad. Next week, we head over to Arkansas to chat with an Aussie and a Michigander who share an unhealthy passion for gigantic trout. You know, it's a bit like kissing your sister. (laughs) You're not going to tell anyone, are you? By the time I'd finished that three-quarters of a mile dive, everything I'd ever thought, red, seen, I went, this is bullshit. I mean, streamer fishing is for the 30-something ADD child. I mean, it's nonstop, go, 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 don't stop. You know? <laughs> None of us got into this game because fly fishing was easy. We got into it because it was a challenge. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.